Hello and welcome to episode 127 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Genthy. With me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. Matthew, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all. A special Merry Christmas episode of the Implant Games Podcast because Monday is Christmas this year and that's just how it fell. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we're recording this a day early, so it's technically not Christmas, but I am going to release this on the 25th. That's, yeah, a little surprise for everybody, hopefully. Eight o'clock in the morning after, I don't know, you're done doing your obligatory family things, or if you like your family activities, then yeah. Hopefully. After that. Yeah, hopefully you avoided any of the topics you shouldn't talk about this holiday season. (laughs) All right, after everybody's done arguing about politics (laughs) during their holiday. Exactly. (laughs) Did you ever have that, like, awkward Christmases where, like, your families would fight? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's it wasn't always Christmas. It would be a random, any a random gathering. Yeah. Any there was a there's always that possibility. You know, it's like Russian roulette. You just never know when the when the that that moment's gonna happen. going to happen. Exactly. I and remember. It's, Sorry. If, well, it's frustrating because family family knows family knows that people don't line up on X Y Z, and so like, why even talk about it? You know, but it just and it's always it's, ends up happening. Someone has like two too many drinks, and it all goes downhill. Yep, exactly. It's always, it's always <laughs> alcohol. <laughs> all right. So, how have you been these past two weeks? Oh, it's just really busy. Um, we've decided to start doubling our sourcing for the business. And so that, uh, that's kind of changed some dynamics. Um, so that's really, I've just been, uh, just getting a lot of stuff listed and, and, uh, uh, and then there's the holiday stuff and shopping and all that. Um, but how about you? Um, I have spent, actually I can start at the top. So as we winded down the last episode, I was on the cusp of 10,000 YouTube subscribers. I think I was like 23 or 27 subs away. Do you remember this conversation right after we ended? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And then, yeah, your video. And then the next morning I woke up and it was like a perfect, even (laughs) 10,000 subscribers. That's awesome. And then you've got crazy views happening on your, uh, your Sonic series. Yeah, the, yeah, I don't, I guess, man, when I make Sonic videos, YouTube um, recommends those and <laughs> suggests those to lots and, well, thousands and thousands of people, which are, is Is that nice. what are you seeing like cross-pollination from other kind of other YouTubers? You see that's, that's where you're getting the views from, like recommended videos from, from somebody else kind of thing? I haven't drilled into it specifically. I don't know. I sometimes I'll notice like... Um, like, oh, this is, I got a whole bunch of, you know, recommendations from a, the completionist episode or a ant dude video or even, um, older stuff like, um, oh, I forget his name, Guru Larry, uh, just a bunch of random things. What I really pay attention to is the, where the videos or where the views as a whole come from, whether it's a browsed video or a recommended video. And what a browsed video basically means is that I was probably in somebody's subscription feed and that's how they find found the video, which would mean all my subscribers. And then a suggested or a recommended video is when somebody's watching something else and then the app, you know, when a video is done, we'll have like three videos for you to choose from. Or if you're on like a PC, you see that bar on the right 
right hand side suggesting content for you um, so like right now over the past 28 days like 80% of my views have been from recommended or suggested videos um, which is how I know the algorithm is suggesting my content to people and you know I'm sort of um, I guess doing what the algorithm wishes yeah it seems like that's a smart way to go to like what what are the chances that someone's going to search and find your exact video? And I mean, this is like the SEO thing, right? You want to mm-hmm. you want to be found. There's that like findability, and you want to be findable. And the, people searching, they're going to look at the like top ten results, and that's it. If you're not there, that's not how you're going to get found. So you've got to find that other that other angle, and that seems to be the best way to do it. To get in those suggested videos. Which is tough because, I mean, that's when retention really comes in handy, and that is people watching your video for a long period of time. Um, Now, if you make 30-minute long videos, it's pretty easy to get a long (laughs) retention time versus an eight-minute video. Um, So that works in my favor as well. And then, obviously, you know, I feel like I make some of the best content, um, you know, that I, well, I make the best content that I possibly can, but I think it matches up okay um you know to to the rest of youtube as well so obviously if it was a garbage video they would all have a two minute retention and would never get found (laughs) so that kind of goes into like right now over so ten thousand subs i'm pretty happy about that my that was a goal Uh, me and my friend uh, michael um of retropolis zone at the beginning of the year we both made it our goal um, to hit 10,000 subs this year. And, uh, if he would have made another video, he would have got there. And I surprised myself by getting there because I didn't think I was going to, um, but I did it. Nice. Is it more of a, it's a sprint or it's a, uh, it's a marathon, not a sprint kind of thing. I gave myself five years to make this work and I have gone through periods where it's like this is never going to amount to anything and then I've had highs where I'm like okay I'm gonna do it this is all gonna work out so um I mean it's always been for me a long-term goal just because like even three years ago I wasn't very good at it and then I suspect three years from now if I look at the content from 2017 I'll think it's not very good so it's kind of everything you you just have to grow and get better and and not get content not get complacent if you get complacent then you turn into mark bustler yep always always be hungry i think is uh gotta be gotta want it yeah so next year i would like to hit twenty thousand. um i suspect if i keep plugging away at the sonic marathon i will be able to achieve that goal and um maybe even more or maybe i will have miscalculated something and uh have some of those dark days where nothing seems to be working we shall see um, but right now I know I need about 28,000 to 33,000 views a day, and that would equal um, about the income I have now from my real job, and, and that would ultimately be the goal. Have you, uh, have you calculated how many hours per day of uh, human, human life uh, you're uh, consuming? like how much time i pour into it well not yours but other people that's the part that fascinates me is when i look at total watch time on youtube 
I'm like, wow, that many. I, in the past, I've like figured out, okay, so I know that any given moment, there are three people somewhere in the world listening to my voice, but I, I don't even know what it is now. So I could tell you like over the last 28 days, people have watched 1 million minutes of Implant Games content, and I don't know what that works out to anymore. Probably 30 people at any given time are listening to my voice somewhere like that. Yeah. I always think about that, that, uh beautiful future that star trek portrayed particularly in next generation where everyone's sort of edifying themselves with like bach and whatever when they go into the quarters they're like putting on this really you know uh acting out shakespearean plays and doing all these amazing things with with their computer you know asking to play this like really high art uh kind of stuff and um the future that they didn't consider is that we're all just going to be watching video games uh videos and and cat videos (laughs) and and things like that i'm trying to imagine uh, you know, Picard going into his quarters and putting on his favorite cat videos. <laughs> <laughs> the algorithmically chosen cat video that right. will only <laughs> the highest retention. Yeah, yeah it's, I'm feeling blue. Put on something with cats. So one thing I did during 2017, and um, I'm sure maybe some of the older fans kind of got bothered and left, and I'm sure there's an equal number of fans that didn't really care about the change in direction, and that has been my focus more on the next generation of gamers and not so much my generation of gamers. Right. And that's why I've tried to review more and more recent games, be it um, like something like Rayman from 1995 or Gex from 1994, you know, mm-hmm. that that fifth generation to a lot of random Xbox games, Game Boy Advance games. Um, from what I can see, 2000 to 2006 seems to be sort of this underrepresented area on youtube so you're looking at your your xbox your gamecube your playstation 2 along with the game boy advance you know those were all very successful systems yet youtube right now or at least what i see on youtube because of you know what youtube lets me see right (laughs) is a lot uh retro or more retro than 2000 to 2006 and then also obviously modern you know modern reviews of new release games do well but i feel like there's this little bubble of nostalgia that's underrepresented and i feel like kind of catering to that specific um, generation of games seems to have yielded positive results from me. You know, we can see, I can see games like, you know, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, which should be one of the most popular NES games. You know, that video did very, very poorly. And that's probably because everybody has already seen a video on that game and nobody really cares what I have to say. Well, it, it goes back to that <laughs> SEO thing too. It's, it's overrepresentation in the marketplace. So you've got suggested videos. Like if you are watching something, uh, say like Capcom NES games, it's only got, there's only so many slots on YouTube that can suggest other videos for somebody to watch. And so, you know, once that fills up, uh, there's, there's no, there's no more room for, for any discoverability. So if you tap into, like you're saying, like the sixth generation, right? Is that, is that, mm-hmm. uh, yeah, there, there's not, if you're seeing the numbers, there's, there must not be that much representation on YouTube, but there is a demand. And Definitely. So, 
Yeah. And I've, I've been saying this for years now, and that is, you know, kids that are 18 to 22, like they're going to want to go back and revisit the games from their childhood. And I see that on every video, whether, you know, I, I see people saying Sonic Advance 2 was my very first Sonic game, and I absolutely love it. And that does not surprise me that I get comments like that on any game that I review from that time period, because I know, you know, things are cyclical. If I was, you know, chasing my childhood when I was 20, my first job, then I know people that are 20 now are doing the same thing. It's ridiculous to think that, you know, Xbox games, PlayStation 2 games, GameCube games will never be as collectible as the Nintendo, Super Nintendo and Genesis. That's just, you know, that's a ridiculous notion. And I think the numbers are proving that I'm right and on on the right path and onto something. Yeah, I think you are. And I think that a lot of people are going to get burned uh unlike cartridge based games where they you know they'll basically always work um you can take them apart and hit them with a toothbrush or you know an eraser on the <laughs> eraser yep. yeah exactly <laughs> whatever it is you need to do you can you can get those things working again but when you know this is going to sneak up on people but these disc based uh systems it's going to get harder and harder to be able to even play them and uh, there's going to be a, a, a smaller demand. demand. Yeah. Or yeah. A smaller supply and an increased demand. Yeah. yeah. And I'm sure you as a reseller see that it, there is a market for this generation, the sixth generation as well. Yeah, I do. And I really think that the Xbox in particular is going to be the one that that's really that's going to blow up in, in value just because uh, so many people mod and that that really messed up uh, a lot of those Xboxes because <laughs> of the DRM protections that people would put into place, you know, and those hard drives are going to go out. And the other thing, too, is they're so heavy. They make very expensive for shipping. And so they end up in yard cells. And then if not, if they don't move, then people throw them in the trash. And uh, I, I think that they're they're their days are numbered in a way. And so I think that's going to really drive, drive things up, especially in the other thing I'm noticing too, particularly about the Xbox is resurfacing the discs. It's incredibly, uh, costly. The, the discs are not as, I don't know what to call it. They're not as malleable as, as the other discs. Like some of them, I would say have some sort of like softer plastic. So they're easier to sand and then buff. And the Xbox discs, disc, disc, well, that was a Freudian slip if I've heard one. <laughs> the, the Xbox discs, if uh, uh, they have scratches on the edges in particular, uh, those are really hard to get rid of those blemishes and, and get them playable again. So I know, yeah, I have. <laughs> I have a lot of Xbox games that need to be resurfaced and it is gosh, you know, I, I remember seeing this with PlayStation as well. It's like, man, it feels like these games just sat on a carpet while somebody like yeah. <laughs> walked all over it and let the, you know, acrylic fibers or whatever destroy the surface well, of the a game. A lot of them, a lot of the Xbox box discs, man, that's a tongue twister for me. They have a lot of like scratch on the edges in particular. They have an, a lot of outward scratches like Every single one that I've had to surface, that's what, what the characteristic is on them. And I don't know why that's happening or, or what about them makes makes it prone to that. It's very strange. I wonder if it's the tray. It I could don't know. Yeah, it could be like damaging damaging them. But uh, huh. anyways, 
took us down a path. <laughs> That's a good path. I think yeah. it's, and uh, yeah, so I, I feel like the NES Super Nintendo Genesis niche has mostly been filled. Um, I've had some videos perform pretty good, like uh, that my Toy Story review did really well, but I know that can be attributed to that channel called Game Hut, uh, run by the former director, producer of Traveler's Tales, and I know that by, you know, he has a really popular channel now people really dig that so i know that the only reason that video is doing well is because he keeps making content on you know toy story mickey mania and um sonic uh, 3d blast so there's some outliers like that but generally you know the master system stuff has generally underperformed it's just you know it kind of stinks, I'd, but you know, you and I have been watching YouTube videos since 2010. It kind of feels like everybody kind of staked out their place in that, you know, particular YouTube niche. And I don't really yeah. know if there's room for anybody else to join the party. I feel like what's the period on, okay, this, this particular like generation or genre of game for whatever it is, if, if there starts to be top 10 videos, that's your like, okay. It's peaked because <laughs> there's nothing left. You know, I can't cover individual games. So now I'm going to the, you know, top whatever lists. And and I feel like that might be kind of an indicative of um, a particular subset of gaming videos kind of reaching their peak. Um, and I think we're seeing a lot of that with uh, with uh, the, those, uh, you know, cartridge based games in particular. And then like, I, I feel like I still see newer YouTubers, YouTubers that are around my size or smaller, still kind of chasing that 2010 feel. And I can't help but kind of chuckle a little bit whenever I see somebody standing in front of, you know, a, a, wall, of a wall of black shelves filled with games. And yeah. it's just kind of like, I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to be the person that's trying to be, um, you know, Gamester 81 circa 2011. Like I'm just, I'm not going to be that person that, that I look at that and I think, I don't really think 20 year olds give a crap about that. I think that just seems old. Yeah, I think, I think you're right. I think that there is something about the younger, um, I don't want to use the word millennial, but the, there's, a, I think we're millennials. Yeah, so. <laughs> technically by definition, I'm, I'm right at the beginning, but, uh, yes. the, there, there is something about, um, collecting that doesn't appeal to, uh, an audience of people, let's say 20, you know, um, something about that is, is archaic, uh, holding on to like consumer products, even I would say might be something that isn't as, uh, as prevalent, uh, with a, as generation. we say, the collecting market of the Xbox will blow up. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> also well, yeah, I think, don't care but about collecting. I, I do think that that's the type of person who's going to go back and actually find the, and, and find those old games is different than the type of person who might necessarily might just want to watch those kinds of videos. Um, because then I, I think those numbers are, are sometimes those are different people because I love watching some of those, uh, you know, I'll watch a whole uh, game room console. tour. Well, yeah, no. I'll watch a whole console uh, set of videos for a particular console that I've never had and I've never played any games for. Just it's just something that it's like, oh man, I wonder what this is like. Um, but I, I do think that as far as the the, I'm I'm referring specifically to 
look at this, look at, it's almost like a badge of like qualification almost of like, I am a hardcore gamer because look at my wall of games kind of thing. That I think, yeah, I think that's exactly right. You can look at certain people you know you've seen youtube videos where somebody owns thousands of games yet they know the history of the games they know when they were released who made them the different variants but as far as actually playing the game you know the the knowledge is pretty rudimentary at best yeah and i don't know if that style is still very interesting like if i watch the next you know if i ever watch uh, somebody review toy story for the sega genesis like i'm gonna have a very <laughs> i know exactly what i want to see out of that video and if it's just somebody saying you know oh look at the cool effects and you know this looks like donkey kong country and yeah that that's not gonna fly for me it needs to be something far more interesting i don't know if people that are 20 really give a crap about all that i think that people want to know if a sega genesis game is actually worth playing today is it still worth worth it is yeah. it worth playing today is it still good what have you well that I've, more analytical approach is more I, interesting than the the collector's approach yeah and i want to say it was uh pete door i was watching a video of his a while back with i think it was bubsy and he was making the observation that it seems like people make a passing they make a video based on oh this is a bad game and that everyone else said it's bad. yeah exactly and they don't really actually try to play it or understand it and therefore they make a video that just hits all the beats the other videos made and i think it was bubsy that he was talking about in particular I, I could be wrong but he came to a realization that he's like for me it's not a bad game and i don't see the points that these people are making and in particular he was saying that a lot of the beef that people were having was them not understanding how the game works, <laughs> which is even more annoying. <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> but I, I think there's a whole subset of that of like, you know, people, it's kind of the AVGN thing of like, this game's horrible and I'm going to crap on it and, and get some views. And yeah, I don't, and I don't think people understand what makes most of his, you know, his videos so good is that, He's it's he's, he's the like humor a filmmaker the first story. too, though. You know, he's like a kind of a storyteller, and and um, yeah, his thing is is definitely I haven't seen anyone replicate it at all. Um, Not successfully, no. And I feel like a lot of people, a lot of younger younger YouTubers, are trying to sort of. Uh, I think it's Jontron that they're in particular sort of mimicking and they might not even know that they're doing it. It's like echoes of other YouTubers who kind of took on his persona as well. Um, but there is a very particular um, sort of portrayal of a gamer, I guess you could say, that some people uh, uh, inhibit when they when they make uh, more entertaining videos about video games and not necessarily uh, critical ones, I guess you could say, that I see a lot of. Um, for me, it's it's kind of irksome. <laughs> <laughs> so with like those two kind of realizations, like I'm not going, you know, the the people that I watch, you know, review older games hasn't really changed in five years. Yeah. I haven't added many retro. Well, it's not even true anymore because it's now almost 2018. I I haven't really watched. I've watched people cover these games again and again but it's very rarely anything new or exciting and i don't know if my sort of genesis super nintendo nes subscription list has really grown that much versus watching people play ps2 xbox and gamecube i can tell you that most of the people that i've subscribed to have been that newer yeah you know underrepresented you know thing where there's stuff where people haven't talked about yet or observations that haven't been made 
So, um, just to kind of close up, I'll just a few of the videos over the past year that have exceeded the channel average or what I would expect a video to do. And that would be Grab by the Ghoulies, Dark Watch, Voodoo Vince, Finding Nemo, and Land of the Dead have all surpassed 5,000 views. And uh, to my surprise, because I never knew any of these games were very popular. And, uh, you know, that just goes to show you there's like a whole new you know generation of, of hidden gems and bargains and like land of the dead is going to be a 50 dollars game you know sooner rather than later and 10 years from now very easily could be a hundred dollar game can you imagine <laughs> it's so i think when i got it it was 18 and i'm like why is this game 18 dollars? <laughs> it's so strange man and it's it's interesting to watch i don't know if you've been paying attention to the prices of some of the cartridge games but it's starting to dip and it's just interesting to to know that that wave is coming. <laughs> I think I don't think there's a bubble uh, with NES, Super Nintendo, and Genesis. I think the market is pretty much it's right. Co- right, it's correcting itself. Yeah, I agree. I will say I'm surprised at how often over the past few months gaming stores have bought an entire nes collection um there was a store up in there's a store up in the green bay area called um game trade and they somebody brought in like 560 nes titles and i've seen a couple of these pictures from local shops where they're buying hundreds of nes games and that's not something i've noticed um over the past few years but it just struck me as odd these last few months i'm like that's a lot of nes games entering the market here that's kind of noteworthy yeah i mean it could mean two things it could mean that you've got collectors that are starting to unload yeah they could be cashing out huh yeah it's possible and that's what's driving the price down um because they're they're not holding on on to their stuff anymore and so they go back and sell their whole collection and now there's more in the in the more for you know where there's sellers that are have a inventory although it's also possible that you know there's two or three games in there that they really want and they know they can sell you know any any of the worst NES games for at least $5 you know in a storefront probably 10 i don't know i don't know what the pricing is like there but that's yeah it's uh it's it's interesting to watch that happen it's it's to me i think it's really going to be interesting we've been talking about it you know this whole time but i really think that watching this this first wave of disc based games and and just watching it's going to be hard to predict, but it'll be really interesting to see what's going to happen. I've uh, I'll close out the sixth generation uh, kind of collector talk with um, a game I bought, Outrun two thousand six, um, Coast to Coast, or out. Yeah, I think it's Outrun two thousand six, Coast to Coast, which was a sequel or sort of like an add on to Outrun two, which is a great Xbox game. But I bought that game for seventy, and that was a year ago, and already it's over a hundred. So some of these titles are are climbing you know at a pretty good clip yeah all right i did it i beat shadow the hedgehog twice (laughs) are you familiar with shadow the hedgehog no i i i feel like he's sonic's alter ego badass but i honestly don't know much about (laughs) this was um this was the fourth major 
Sonic 3D outings, so to say. So there was Sonic Adventure, Sonic Adventure 2, Sonic Heroes, and Shadow the Hedgehog. And those were kind of the sixth generation Sonic games, major Sonic games. And uh, it's notorious. It got really bad reviews. I think IGN gave it a 4.9 and GameSpot gave it a 4.8, which from those two publications is almost impossible to get a score that low. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and agreed. if you watch like any if you you know search for shadow the hedgehog review on youtube most of the videos you're going to see are going to talk about how awful this game is and i kind of talked about this a little bit uh, a couple years ago i kind of played through it once and i'm like this isn't bad at all and then i kind of made that satirical video um so i finally got to the point now where it's time to finally beat it and my opinion didn't really change much this is not like the downfall of the Sonic the Hedgehog series. This is not the worst 3D platformer I've ever played. It's actually a pretty mediocre game, <laughs> which was <clears throat> sort of disappointing because it's really hard to write about a game that is neither good nor bad, but just sort of meh because um, it's hard to prove a game is mediocre. It's really interesting and challenging and fun to explain why a game is amazing or why a game is dreadful. It's really hard to analytically prove that a game is average. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But yeah, anyway, it, yeah, go ahead. It, I mean, it doesn't have anything there that, you know, it's, <sighs> it is one of the most benign pieces of software I have ever played. <laughs> there is almost nothing like I never once got frustrated. I never got aggravated. I never cursed at the screen outside of the final boss, which was a little goofy. Like this game is it's not even close to broken and glitchy and impossible. It's just very average. But then there's nothing in the game where I'm like, oh, my God, this level is so fun. This is like a piece of platforming brilliance that everybody should play through like it like it it took me about 13 hours to play it and then a 13 additional hours to play it a second time and like it's just it's just very boring it's just white not boring it's just very yeah Yeah. it's just yeah it's wonder bread yeah i wish you i should have consulted you before i wrote the (laughs) script (laughs) yeah it's like a it's like white bread it's just completely so when i posted on twitter when i beat it the first time there was uh some people kind of falling into that trap where yes this is a piece of garbage i can't believe you did it you know yada 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 sort of like what you were just talking about with bubsy where everybody just repeats the same thing whether they've played the game or not not saying these twitter commenters you know were in that group but that's the feeling that i got and then there was another set of twitter uh replies saying yeah this game isn't as bad as they say say and i suspect those people beat the game and i yeah they're right it's not this horrible atrocity (laughs) but i did finish the script and actually before this i uh i finished the audio editing as well so 38 minutes of audio edited and i'll start working on the video tomorrow well I mean, the the thing that you've got to look forward to is, you know, editing a video. (laughs) Editing a 38 minute video is it's freaking hard. That's that's we're looking at about 20 hours of editing. So I have the week off and I will spend it working on the channel. Well, and I think I think that because of the the sort of this being the game that it is that you know you're going to see the hopefully see some views for it and not not feel like you wasted 
you know, <laughs> I, I'm confident it will do well. I yeah. wish I had it out um, on Friday just to clean up the holiday advertising on YouTube. Um, but I just I couldn't get it done that fast. And I'm kind of of the mindset now that the quality of the video, it trumps every other factor ever. So <laughs> it's going to be delayed a week. And that's just the way it is. Yeah, it'll it's ready when it's ready. It'll be done when it's right. All right. I could go on for another hour just talking about nothing. So let's jump <laughs> over to your first what's new item. <laughs> um, yeah. So this I feel I feel kind of silly of what I'm with what I'm about to say. Um, but I've been watching a lot of game developer conferences and uh, in particular, I've been sort of uh, honing in on the indie game scene and uh, seeing what what uh they kind of experience and and uh you know how do how do people make you know money doing this kind of thing and in particular there was a, a developer who said who had a video and it was uh essentially it was 10 years without a hit and how to be you know sustainable but not but not uh successful necessarily uh and he talked it's about like the story of my life <laughs> exactly <laughs> it made me think of a lot of that kind i don't want to be successful i want to be happy exactly <laughs> and, and that's yeah uh, this was a guy who uh you know what in a lot of ways he's he kind of mirrors uh he's meticulous in tracking his metrics and how much how many hours he spent on something and what the return was over its lifetime uh which he then was showing as a calculation of uh how much per hour he made for that particular game and he was just talking about how you build a library and how you uh you know you have these small for your your universe of games that you're making have these small hits uh, and, uh, I knew about game maker, which is what I'm leading into and it's, it's on sale. It, it hit a cell and I was, I had downloaded the demo and I'd started looking into it and it's, it uses this, it's a simple game development, uh, toolkit. It uses a simple scripting language, a lot like, uh, if you're familiar with PHP or any, any other like Python or any of these other simple scripting languages with the, the syntax is, uh, almost identical to those. And the same with the, the logic behind it and everything like that. So I just started looking into it. And I was like, you know, this is one of my bucket list things. I didn't have the money to go to DigiPin when I was, you know, in the 90s and I had graduated high school and I wanted I wanted to make games back then, but I just didn't have the the financial resources nor the person pushing me, I think is what I needed the most to say that this is something that I could do. Um and so I just want to do it. I just want to start like turning out um little little trinkety things, little games here and there and then maybe work on a bigger one down the line, but um, what I'm imagining doing is just taking this, I, I purchased Game Maker 2, it's a game making toolkit, and, uh, just making some, like, I, I'm gonna hit up the classic arcade games, so I'm gonna do, like, an Asteroids, a Breakout, like, these kind of really simplistic, uh, in, in scope games that I know are going to offer me challenges to, to figure out, you know, certain elements and, and get better with it, and then, uh, I was talking to my wife about it, and it's, it's something that we're just gonna kind of dive into a little bit and see see what can happen um i don't have any you know huge expectations but it is something that i've wanted to do and i just want to see you know if if uh if i can make a you know something that that people like eventually you know down the line but but for now i'm just gonna make little trinkety kind of 
kind of game. I find stuff like that, and I do a lot of the bead sprites as well for the Patreon, and just doing sort of productive things to keep my mind busy instead of just wasting away on, you know, watching Pawn Star marathons or, (laughs) you know, getting lost on YouTube. I find stuff like that, even if nothing ever comes of it, just like a much more productive use of like my brain power. Yeah. And, you know, that's what our business was at first. It was like this kind of side hobby and it and it started to grow and turn into something where it's like, I think this is something we can live off of. And so I, you know, I just I'll put this onto the the hobby list. And and uh, I know that, you know, I know there's other programming languages I'm familiar with. C, I, I learned Objective-C. I've released iPad apps. You know, I've done those things. Um, so I know that this is not a high like uh it's not a low level programming language i understand it's high level it's like it's really uh you know simplistic and and whatnot but it's more to just get the concepts down and get the process down and understand what makes a game good and 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 a lot of that comes down to math and uh, and and interactions and things like that and i'd rather nail those down first uh than go through the kind of the hurdles of learning a bigger system like unity and, and the ins and outs of, uh, debugging memory issues and, and uh, <laughs> C and, and stuff like that. Um, and just be able to turn something out quick. Uh, so, uh, so something I'm going to be doing, um, you know, in the background and, and hopefully, uh, you know, something can come of it, but, uh, right on. Yeah. A little side thing. Uh, and then do you want to hear about me and a friend trying to kill the predator? <laughs> Well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, this was uh, this was like an unexpected little um, add-on to... I've been playing for this year, uh, Ghost Recon, and they released a little uh, end-of-year kind of surprise where uh, in a certain part of the jungles of the game, um, you could try to track down and uh, kill the Predator. And needless to say, we've fertilized the, the, uh, the rainforest quite well there. Uh, and we have not been successful, <laughs> um, but, uh, it's, it's been fun. It's, it's really cool the, the way that they've done it, but it's essentially you, you come across somebody who's talking about, you know, ghosts in the jungle and, uh, you see all these bodies hanging from trees with their skin ripped off and, you know, all the, all the staples of the movie basically. And I'm playing with my buddy and our, we have the difficulty crammed all the way up and, uh, we've tried to use like human meat shields. We've called in, you can call in reinforcements and, uh, they've all just been slaughtered and eventually we're next. And, um, I, I know if we had more people, it would be a lot easier, but it's just fun to play. You know, I've got my longtime high school friend and this is kind of how we keep in touch. So we're just getting going to Bolivia and just getting slaughtered by the predator. But, uh, <laughs> it's, it's been fun. It was a nice little kind of treat for the end of the year and, and a, a way to get, he, he had another kid recently, so he's been kind of busy. So it was nice to be able to kind of uh, touch base with him again and, and do this, but um, it's, it's pretty cool. <laughs> nice. I thought I'd just share that though. Um, I think the event is over though. So we didn't succeed. That sucks. We're failures <laughs> next year. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think there's a bunch of predator games that you can buy. He'll, you know, get it that way. Yeah. Or buy a Jag and buy alien versus predator. And then you can be the alien and <laughs> hunt predators. Oh man. Don't do it. It's a terrible game. <laughs> it's really boring. <laughs> All right. So as everybody who owns a first generation Xbox 360 knows, eventually they red ring and die. 
So months ago, we had two Xbox 360s. I had one in the living room and the kids had one downstairs and theirs finally broke. So they now have mine. But as I go through the Sonic Marathon, I knew that I was going to need to purchase my own Xbox 360 um, so that I could begin playing Sonic the Hedgehog 06, Sonic Unleashed and Sonic Generations. And so I finally purchased a 360 again uh, for myself and I got a Halo 4 edition, which is something I didn't know existed and it looks ridiculously awesome it's the i don't know what if they're called the slim model but it's the first revision they did and so it has like this half the side is like a massive fan so they don't melt um, but what's cool about the halo 4 edition is it's translucent pra- uh, plastic and you know everything that's translucent is cool and then uh, it's got paint on the inside so like the front half is translucent and then it slowly fades to a solid color and it's got all these chrome accents on it and it looks kind of badass I'm looking at photos of it. It's crazy. I've I've never I never knew of this one. No, either did I. <laughs> it just I knew that I wanted to get a limited edition 360, just because I after collecting for the Xbox, I realized that the limited edition Xboxes sell for you know twenty to thirty percent more than the normal black ones. So I'm like, well. If they're going to cost practically the same amount, I might as well go for one that will, you know, appreciate and value more. Yeah, it's got the the chrome edging, too. Do you have the controllers? No. Oh, that's a bummer. I know. I might buy them separate or I might just forget about it and let it go. But this is also the first Xbox 360 I've ever owned that had a large hard drive. I bought a 360 at launch in 05 and uh, a week or so later I bought a 20 gig hard drive that like, you know, clipped onto the top and that's the only hard drive I've ever used for the 360. So I had, you know, limited amount of indie games on there and, you know, that's pretty much it. But this one has a 320 gig drive. So... Um, like when I get Sonic the Hedgehog, uh, 2006, I'll install it on the hard drive and hopefully have faster, uh, load speeds, but it's a feature I've never gotten to use cause I always had a rinky dinky 360. Unfortunately, the Sonic 2006 that I had bought in, I think, uh, at the end of November, uh, the disc did not work. And then I tried installing it thinking, well, maybe if I can install it to the hard drive, it'll be fine. But it failed at 19%. And when I pulled out the disc, it had like a pretty weird divot on it. Um, Mm. Like the plastic was physically warped. Mm -hmm. And so I was kind of annoyed that the store sold it to me. This isn't one of my usual stores. This is kind of a store that I don't go to very often because the customer service isn't very good and it's just a weird you know run-of-the-mill game store it's not an awesome game store and uh so i was i didn't know when i bought it i thought well if it was within 30 days i'll just exchange it but then the receipt at the bottom says five day exchanges and there's a 15 percent restocking fee that's and i'm like i have never seen a 15 percent restocking fee I don't know if I've seen a restocking fee in like a decade for any store, let alone a mom and pop game store. Yeah, that's that's disappointing, especially given that it it, it's on as far as I'm concerned, it was on them. They sold a, a bad copy. Yeah, you can look at it and see, ah, you know, there's a big divot in the plastic. That's probably not going to work. Right. I, I mean, ex- I guess it's I on exactly me for not noticing. Yeah. But I buy a lot of stuff and don't touch it for a couple months because I generally plan ahead. So, you know, it's it's on me. But at the same time, like, that's pretty lame. <laughs> right. 
No, that's that's not not a good. I mean, it's probably not. It's only going to affect what kind of customers they they end up getting, and and it's not. You're not going to be going back there every every time you need to find something. It's not no. going to be first on your list. Definitely not. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's not a good practice. So I did purchase a loose disc on eBay since I have the case. I only need the disc, and that means I'm not going to get that for a week or two. And so I have to do something else for my next video. So I am going to finally tackle the 3DO, um, which is good, I guess. Um, so I'm going to probably do exactly like I did with the Atari Jaguar and that's kind of talk about do three to four hundred words on 16 games and have a really nice long 40 minute review on the 3DO. Sweet. And this is I, the uh, uh was it the 3DO where you found the no, Yeah, I yeah. bought that 240p nice. Japanese 3DO. So, yeah. you know, I've been planning on this. I wanted to have that 3DO for when I finally got to it, but just with the disc having the divot, I kind of had to move on to a different project. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing the 3DO again. I'm looking forward to doing a really big video on it. The Atari Jaguar, it was a 42-minute video I did last or this year and it turned out really well. I was proud of it. I thought it was the most objective and correct video on the Atari Jaguar. It wasn't like a bash fest, but it wasn't also like a love fest. I'm sure you've seen that, you know, a video that proclaims the 32X or the Jag or the, you know, the, the 3DO is the greatest game system ever and it's all misunderstood and that's not really the truth. So I felt like I, I did an accurate review. Like, you know, Alien versus Predators hailed as this brilliant, you know, first person shooter and my might have been in 94 but in 2017 it's really bad and uh, so yeah i was proud of that and i can't wait to dive into the 3do for the next couple of weeks well that's gonna be fun a nice kind of change of pace too yeah not playing uh you know mediocre and or bad sonic games will be a nice it'll be a nice it's, little break it's a palate cleanser yeah oh there we go yes yeah and my final what's new since I did have the 360 with the massive hard drive, I had actually skipped uh, Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Part 1 and Sonic the Hedgehog 4 Part 2, uh, which were digital only games for the PS3 and the Xbox 360. Did you ever play? No, you never played no. Sonic the Hedgehog Part 4. <laughs> <laughs> you know the answer. <laughs> nope. Um, so I bought the first one. It's only $10. It's, uh, it's kind of, it feels like half a game or part of a game. It only has four zones. So imagine like Sonic the Hedgehog, you played it, it had what, six zones, each zone had three acts. Mm-hmm. This is four zones, and each zone has three acts. So 12 levels, four bosses, plus a final boss, and... Um, it didn't, I don't think it sold very well. I don't think the reviews were that great. It doesn't really feel like, you know, Sonic the Hedgehog one, two, three, um, and it's called Sonic the Hedgehog four. So it's kind of weird. It should have been like Sonic mania, but it wasn't, you know, that was obviously not going to come for another seven years, but, uh, it is made by a company called Dimps who made the Sonic advance series and the Sonic rush series for the DS. And I'm fairly certain Sonic the Hedgehog four uses the rush engine from the DS games so it feels very much like Sonic Rush Sonic Rush Adventure and Sonic 
colors on the DS, which are all very similar, except for it's missing missing the boost. Um, but it is kind of a nice looking game with 1080p uh, 2D visuals, but the controls are a little not as precise as what you've played in Sonic 1, and the music is pretty generic, and it's kind of just an average game, and I was a little disappointed. I knew it was going to be average, but it was even more average than I thought. Yeah, well, I mean, it's 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 this uh, this, that's the pot of uh, Sonic games. You, you're gonna get <laughs> it. Just it seems like every uh, Sonic game is just <laughs> going to be disappointing and break my heart. <laughs> Welcome to the Sonic series. I do need that 3DO palette cleanser. <laughs> well, I mean, it's it's um, there's something to them though, you know, and and I think. Um, kind of reminds me of the Pac-Man platforming games, the 3D ones, where it's like, they're not the best games, but they're good. It's funny you say that. What are they? Is it Pac-Man World? Yeah, the Pac-Man World series. Because I started playing Pac-Man World 2 on the Xbox, and it's not bad, but it's not great. It's right. kind of, at least what I played, probably two hours, it was pretty like, huh, <laughs> this is pretty average. Yeah. I mean, if you're if you're young and, and that's your kind of your first experience, experience with a 3d platformer you're not going to think it's bad i sus- and i think the first one was on the playstation but i suspect they're much like sonic in you know the year 2002 there were a lot of parents that grew up with sonic and pac-man and then bought their kids the latest sonic and pac-man game and now those kids have nostalgia for those titles just like i did for you know the titles that i played yeah i mean they made a trilogy so it must have been popular yeah, I mean, it, Sonic is really in the realm of, um, how do you put it? He's like a, you know, like Mario or Mickey Mouse. He's kind of uh, Been around an icon. For long. Yeah, yeah, icon. Pop yeah. culture icon. Yeah, and so a kid's going to know about Sonic. I mean, think, you know, you said that a, a lot of people had commented that, uh, you know, or not a lot, but you had comments that Sonic Advance was their first Game Boy game. Game Boy Advance game, and it's like Sonic game or first any game, right? First any game, and and it's like how how much of a force is Sonic that you know the first Nintendo portable console you buy, the first game you're going to get for it is a Sonic (laughs) game, Sonic instead of Mario, and it's the first game you're ever going to get. So I think that says a lot about his power. His power, Um, the character itself is it it does have some sort of appeal. it's like uh, it's deep within our our collective uh, pop culture psyche exists. Yeah. Sonic, he'll have his ups and downs. Yeah, and most will be average. <laughs> no, no doubt he's going to be in Ready Player One, right? That's uh, I don't I don't know if I saw him in the trailers or not, but he'll be there. We'll see. All right, it is time for the well. I guess that was sort of the meat of the episode, but the other meat of the episode, and that is this is the last episode of the podcast for 2017. So, what better way to wrap up 2017 than to talk about the best and worst games we played this year? Indeed, my my list unfortunately doesn't contain as many retro games as I would have like, uh, but. Do you want to hit it off with the worst of 2017? 
Um, you know, I think we got to do it the other way because really? the worst is what everybody wants to hear. Oh. So we have to save that for the net. Yeah. You see? Yeah. That's how it goes. People love. Yeah, that's right. That's the schadenfreude. They love to know. They love to watch the pain. And, and that's the favorite if, thing. If you pro Jared every year does a best of and worst of and without it, the worst of always. That's the video that gets way more views. All right. Well, then let's set it off with the best. Should we bounce the back best. and forth? Uh, sure, I'll go first since I have more. All right, go for it. I sort of did mine in an order. So the fifth best game I play. These are all games I beat. We'll go down yours just in order. That makes sense. Yeah, mine are in order. I don't know what yours are. So anyway, my fifth best game of 2017 is Scalar. <laughs> Excuse me, which is a 3D platformer released for the Xbox, PlayStation 2, and GameCube. And this is a really good 3D platformer. It, um, I don't know what to compare it to. It kind of has the feeling, it doesn't feel like a, a Crash Bandicoot game where you're down a limited hallway. And it doesn't feel like, um, like a Mario, uh, like Mario 64, where it's kind of open. It's kind of more linear without being constricting and uh yeah it's just a pretty solid game with great um with great animation really bright colorful graphics um seven or whatever different worlds to go through and uh, a lot of challenge in both the combat and the platforming and some of the better bosses um in a 3d platformer that i've really experienced in a while the main hook of the game are these different sort of um, powers that you can get during some of the levels i haven't played this in a while so i'm not going to be as clear as i'd like but you can like turn into a ball and you can turn into a few other things and then and you have to know when to use those different forms to get through different challenges. And so it kind of has uh, something that sets it apart. And all around, it's just a really solid, good 3D platformer. Sweet. So, um, should you, you do, I think you should do your whole list. Okay. That, let's do that. Let's do that. <laughs> Number four, Tiny Toon Adventures. Buster's Hidden Treasure on the Sega Genesis. This game, when I got it, it was like seven bucks and completely took me by surprise because it is a game that I've never heard anybody talk about ever. And people talk about, um, there was a Tiny Toon Adventure Buster Bust Loose on the Super Nintendo, um, but like Konami did for a lot of their Genesis titles, when they made the Genesis game, they started over. So Tiny Toon Adventures, Castlevania, Contra, they were all... Uh, Ninja Turtles, they were all different games instead of just ports of the Super Nintendo game. And that's no exception with Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster's Hidden Treasure. So this is a 2D platformer. You're going to notice a trend here. This is a 2D <laughs> platformer for the Sega Genesis, and it has that mid to early 90s Konami quality that you would expect. Um, really good graphics, really, really good um, music. Konami didn't seem to have any trouble making good music on the Genesis. A lot of Japanese companies didn't um, so it sounds amazing. The controls are really fluid and nice. There isn't really, it's just a really solid, good um, 2D platformer for the Genesis. Pretty big game. It takes a couple hours to get through. Really good difficulty curve where it's pretty easy in the beginning and then gets progressively harder. And the final world of levels is genuinely challenging. And, you know, it doesn't have one hit deaths or any other stupid thing that you would might expect from, you know, a, an early 90s platform. It's just really well done. Very nice. 
Number three is Virtual Racing for the Sega Genesis. I have owned, I still own my childhood copy of Virtual Racing, so I probably got it in 1996 or maybe 1997. This is, of course, not really a port. I'm sure they coded it from scratch, but it was a popular arcade game, kind of really put polygons into the arcade in a much more meaningful way than... Um, what were those Atari games? Hard driving or hard racing or both? Yeah, I was going to say super driving, but I think it is hard driving. And so this is, yeah, virtual racing was far more advanced. And on the Genesis, of course, it uses the the SVP chip, sort of like the Super FX chip on the, the Super Nintendo. This is a chip inside the cartridge, the only one to have it. And uh, it's a pretty, honestly, I think this game is far more advanced than any of the Super FX games games on the super nintendo it's full and it's not full screen it's got a black border but it's a pretty good 3d racing game on the genesis i actually find the track design so good in this game that i still find even the genesis port which is easily the worst port of the game i still find the track design so good to kind of make up for some of the clumsier aspects of it and this year i finally beat the game properly, which is something I never thought I was going to accomplish. And that means beating all three tracks in first place on the normal difficulty. You cannot perform the task on the easy difficulty. You have to do it on the normal difficulty. And since there's no battery save, you have to do it all in one sitting. So I did get a gold cup on all three tracks for the first time in my entire life. And uh, I was quite proud of that and uh, quite happy to finally say I beat this game because I, there's a lot of people that have that can't beat I think the second track and if you you know even looking through old Sega 16 forum posts there's people that have played this game their whole life and have never gotten the three gold cups so I was really kind of proud of myself that's it has a decent frame rate too right like it's surprisingly I, good I don't remember if it's 15 or if it's 20, but it's very smooth. Like it's, it's much better than like checkered flag on the Jag. It's much better than, um, the two racing games on the super effects chip. I forgot stunt driver and something else. Yeah. Stunt driver FX. And I can't remember the other one. Stunt race effects. I just can't dirt, dirt track, dirt tracks, FX stunt driver effects. Something Something, like that. It's smoother than those two games. Yeah. yeah, it's very, it's, it's, I find it to be very playable, but there is a steep learning curve um, with the, the grip levels and figuring out when the car is going to spin, how fast you need to be to maintain grip, a little bit of breaking the game, going faster through turns than you think, because you will get to the end of the turn before the timing based grip runs out. It's, it's, it's a flawed, um, but in a good arcade way. And uh, the third best game I played this year. Yeah. Number two, The Notorious, the game nobody gives a (laughs) about, (laughs) Kirby's Epic Yarn for the Nintendo Wii. One of the very best 2D platformers I've ever played in my entire life. I thought this game was absolutely amazing. The fabric art style is breathtaking. The animation is outstanding. And the level design works perfectly within Kirby's moveset, which has been changed to sort of a lasso-like deal. And there's just enough variety with some shooting and some uh, auto-scrolling 
levels to really just make the game fun to play. Every single level is awesome. I did 100% this game. I found every secret there was, did every side quest, and I just thought it was an amazing title. Yeah, really beautiful. Still haven't broken the seal on mine. I was just going to ask you. I know you have the seal. Have you opened it yet? It's it's sitting there. It's waiting. When your daughter's old enough to play, that's yeah. got to be the one. Before oh, yeah. the Lego games, you got to do two-player Kirby's Epic Yarn. Awesome. Yeah, I don't I don't know if I'm going to do the Lego games, but uh sweet. And number 1, which I'm surprised I played last year. So this I think was almost it was this was January or February, but Super Mario Land 2 6 golden coins for the Game Boy. Have you played Super Mario Land 2 6 golden coins for the Game Boy? Yes, I love the music. But it's most Game Boy games I could say that. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. <laughs> Four channels of awesome. <laughs> yeah. What I found, you know, it's just an interesting interpretation of Mario uh, is what I'll say, because you're not going to see gameplay like this in any Mario game, you know? Nope. It wasn't made by Miyamoto. It was made by somebody else. Yeah. And maybe that's what I, I don't know. Cause I, when I played this as a kid, I had no idea this was different than super Mario or super Mario two or super Mario three. Yeah. Like it's just, to me, it was Mario, but he, no, this go ahead. I mean, oh no. I was going to say, I mean, he just, he kind of, he feels different. He whips around a lot more. His jump is faster. Gravity seems to be like, you know, you go back to the first NES Mario game and the jump, it feels like he, you're just like in slow motion uh compared to compared to this game it's different i don't yeah. know i haven't you know i it's uh, it's on my to-do list is to revisit the original mario games i'll be curious to what i think but uh i like the all the different worlds are totally unique you got your micro world you got your halloween themed world you got your space world your sunken submarine you have another one where you're in a tree and all the bugs are huge it's just a lovely game from beginning to end and much like Kirby's Epic Yarn I love every single level I find them all fun as a kid I located every secret exit and found every hidden level it's just a lovely game my only complaint is uh, it's too easy none of the bosses are very hard except for the final one and so um, I think I played it three times for the review and I wasn't going to I had recorded once uh, with a color palette on the super game boy and then i recorded a second time with a different color palette and then i was like man i really should have like a third color palette to make this video more visually interesting and i just wanted to play it so i'm like all right let's see if i can beat this game in under an hour so i just sped through it as fast as i could um with blue hues um and that way when i did the video i could do when i showed water levels i could have the blue color palette but i just i love it i could sit down and, and just blast through this game at any point in time it's it's just amazing one of the very best mario games in my opinion not as a fact as an opinion yeah it's it's definitely i i don't know it the, i gotta say i just all i can ever every time i think of that game is is the music it's just what pops into my head every single time i can you know <laughs> it is ridiculously good yeah I, nintendo's really good. composers they knew the game they knew how to make the game boy sing i suspect because it wasn't that different from the nes so they already had you know years of work you know using those four sound channels and it's yeah the, i love the way the game boy sounds and this is a great soundtrack for the game boy yeah 
We'll talk about the advanced uh, sound when when a, <laughs> a game pick. Um, All right, Matthew, later. your first, your first, your four worst games of 2017. Best, best. We're doing the best first. Your four best games <laughs> of 2017. All right. So I'm, just, I'm looking at the word best and I said worst for no reason. <laughs> so uh, not a lot of retro games for me, unfortunately, but uh, I did start the year off um playing rogue legacy which is a roguelike game where you play a knight who um goes into a castle and each room is is randomly generated but there are characteristics that are similar through every playthrough the thing that's kind of interesting about this one is as you um you know you're going to die in a roguelike you're going to die that's part of how you learn how to play play the game and get further along in it and the way that they've kind of integrated that into this game is each time you die you're reborn as the offspring of the previous uh person who had entered the castle so you're it's like you're you know the son going in to go see what happened to their father kind of thing and you that's how you um gain new attributes and and different abilities and things like that and and when when you start up you have a choice of like uh three three uh three of the offspring and they they'll have different sort of attributes that that over time you'll you'll know what they mean and uh, one can be like a minute miniature, so like super small guy, but but uh, you know his attacks and everything are the same. Um, so, you know, just different kind of uh, elements that that sort of mix it up. But it's it's a great roguelike. It it's um it's really fun to go back and and uh, you know I I don't want to give away too much because if if you if you haven't played it, like part of what makes it fun is sort of discovering each of the elements of, of the game. But the um it's it's uh it controls really well uh it it has it's kind of castlevania in some of its attack moves but it's very fast um which i wouldn't necessarily associate with castlevania so it has kind of a the 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 character sort of whips around a lot more and and you have a a, a much stronger sense of speed and, and control over the over the uh the player character that that you're controlling um, and I still haven't beaten the game because it just, you keep going along in it and you realize that there's, there's more to it as you progress. Uh, and so every time you think that you're finally, you know, at the end, it, it sort of un, unveils a whole new aspect to the game, but you start to learn, you know, the different, different parts and behaviors of, of the castle and, and, uh, you know, going further down into it you're gonna that's sort of the harder area of of the castle and and you know if you start to head more towards the uh towards the west you're gonna see certain types of things and um but it's it's just a really blast to play and the music's really good even though it's uh kind of repetitive um so that's my first one let uh, me ask you and yeah. i was gonna ask you when you brought this up in a previous episode what You've mentioned the genre as being a rogue or a roguelike. What does that mean? So that means, at least whenever I hear that, uh, to me, what it means, and, I, and I'm pretty sure this is, is where it goes back to, that I think there was a game called uh, Rogue, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken. Um, very, very, uh, it was character-based, where the enemies and everything were actually letters on the screen, like an old Apple uh, II game. Um, but... Uh, what it means is it's going to be um it kind of automatically means it's going to be a difficult game 
that that the way that you're going to learn how to to get better at it is by dying and and learning from your mistakes and sort of go, you know going back and trying again and and learning what the limits are and what where where enemies weaknesses is or maybe a trick to to avoid them or you know a way to engage but there's also the aspect of the next time you play it the game re-rolls and the rooms are different enemy placements are different where treasures are different spots so every time you go back to the game if you imagine it as sort of a metroidvania it'd be like every time you start it up super metroid the next time you come back to it everything's in a different spot okay and so that's that's really the the sort of the characteristics of a roguelike. It's usually challenging. You learn through trial and error and, and, and death. So you've got kind of that Mega Man hard sort of feel to it, I guess you could say, or or any of the eight bit hard, you know, if you want gotcha. to call call it that. And then and then it's just a lot of trial and error and the game sort of unveils the depth. There's usually a layer the good ones, there's a lot of depth to it where where you're learning uh just the way that the world is and the way that the enemies are. And, and that's how you get better at the game and, and learn whether or not to even you go into a room. Sometimes you'll go into a room and you're like, Nope, I'm not ready. And you'll leave and you'll go and, and get more experience somewhere else or better weapon. And then, you know, okay, now I can go back to that room and take it. So, so that kind of thing. Um, Perfect. I think, yeah, one of the biggest games, uh, that falls under that, um, umbrellas, uh, Spelunky, I think is, is the big one that everyone, Really this likes. is just so far off my radar. Yeah, I have no idea. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think I think there is an NES game that falls under it too. That the name escapes me right now. Um, but so number two on my list is Double Dragon, which I talked about last episode, and I've really started to appreciate now that I know I can best it anytime I want to. Um, now Matthew will start doing speed run videos. Exactly. I'm going to start start <laughs> drinking Jolt Cola and and just uh just speed run Double Dragon every night. Um but not really need to dive into that one too much, but I do appreciate that game. I really think it has a lot of depth that I never noticed until until now. Um and then up next is Gran Turismo Sport, another game I've actually talked about here. Uh the that game is just um as far as taking the idea of the sim racer and and trying to translate that into online play with competitive sport aspect to it and like uh i think it's it's pulling that off uh very well and then my last pick for for best uh that i've played this this year is overcooked which i actually got um in 2016 but it was on christmas and i never got a chance to play it until until 2017 and this is a single player or multiplayer cooking game um with like an overhead view where if you kind of imagine maybe like a diner dash a little bit like that but you you actually have full control over your character and so uh it's a it's a game of multitasking and and if you're playing with another player like i I played the whole game with my wife and and it's about it's sort of like collaborating together as a player and coming up with the best is it uh, like a real time strategy? <laughs> yeah. So if you imagine a kitchen and uh, you've got to start chopping onions because you're making a soup and it needs three ingredients like onion and tomato, tomato and and you know celery, and so you got to grab those things out of the kitchen, take it someplace, chop it up, then put you know put that together on a plate, then throw that in the uh, in the stew, 
then when the stew's ready, you got to grab the stew, take it off, because if you don't, it'll set on fire, and then the kitchen will start on fire, and you have to go fire the, find the higher fire hydrant, put the fire out, throw the soup out, start over. Um, so it becomes this, like, and then you'll get different orders. That's where the Diner Dash element comes, because you're running a restaurant, the orders come down, and you have to make different meals. And so there's that, that sort of traditional, like, um, almost like mobile game where you're you're starting a task and it starts counting down and you know that it's going to finish in a certain time kind of thing. But then on top of that, the stage is your enemy. And like one of my favorite ones is your <laughs> it's a food truck, but it's split. It got cut in half. And so the parts of the food truck like separate. And so, you know, that if you don't jump across to the other side, that that food cart's going to like it's going to start to go away. Uh, food truck, I should say. And, and so there's like this, uh, part of the game, part of that where you're like having to deal with, okay, um, you stay on that side of the cart, I'll stay on this side of the cart. And then when you need food, I'm going to throw it over on the other side when it comes close and that, and you know, there's just a lot of like really fun, uh, moments that'll happen in that game. And, and if you're playing with like, uh, friends, you probably get some Charlie horses or something like that, but it's not a multiplayer <laughs> game. It's, it's absolutely, it's a couch co-op game. There's no online aspect to it. So you've got to sit down and play with whoever you're playing with. Um, and there's competitive mode too, but that usually leads to just feeling bad. You know, it's like, like when I play Monopoly, I always feel awful. Do you crush everybody? No, it's just a game that depresses me because <laughs> I'm usually getting crushed and I just like, I'm like, I hate this game, but, uh, I hate all of you. I can't believe yeah, you did this to me. Exactly. I we were friends. It's like, I've been cheating the whole time and I still can't win, but no. Can't we uh, go back to talking about politics? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. I'd much rather. <laughs> no, but, uh, that's, uh, that's, that's the game in a nutshell. It's, it's a blast to play. The music's really great too, but definitely recommend it. All right, so the best of 2017, Scalar, Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster's Hidden Treasure, Virtual Racing, Kirby's Epic Yarn, Super Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins, Rogue Legacy, Double Dragon for the NES, Gran Turismo Sport, and Overcooked. All right, now for the moment everybody's been waiting for, the worst of 2017. I shall go first. Go for it. I did not play a lot of bad games this year, so my first two aren't really bad games. They just happen to be the worst that I played this year. Um, number five is Rambo First Blood Part 2 for the Sega Master System. This is an overhead run-and-gun game. It can be played with one player or two. I suspect two-player mode makes it a lot better, but the single-player mode is a real pain in the butt. Um, and what I don't like about this game, and what I think is designed poorly, is how random the enemy generation is. So depending on where you are on the screen when you push forward, because that's all that's what an overhead run-and-gun is about. It's about pushing the screen forward, because the enemy enemies never stop respawning um, depending on where you are in the screen dictates what enemies will appear on the screen so you might have a run where everything is very easy and then the next time you might just get game over super fast because you just happen to be on the wrong part of the screen and got screwed so that random element of 
the enemy generation being significantly different. Like you're going to have flamethrowing guys that trap you in the corner of the screen, or you're going to have a guy, you know, that just wanders in circles. Like there's a pretty big discrepancy and, and it kind of made the game really grueling to play. And I honestly, I'm shocked that I beat the game because I almost gave up and just did something else. I this like part of a run and gun is that you sort of know what's going to happen next. You can kind of start to memorize things. At least that's the way that I recall a lot of them. I yeah. If you play Gunstar Heroes, if you play the Contra games, yeah, it, it, memorization is an element for sure. I'm less familiar with the overhead run and gun variety, but it would be my expectation that if I keep playing the game over and over and over, that I'm going to get better because I'm more familiar with all of the enemy patterns, and that just doesn't happen here because it's random. Yeah. So uh, for a 19, I think it was a 1985 release, probably 86 in America. It was called Other Things in Other Territories. They sort of just slapped the Rambo license on for the American release, but it wasn't on the NES. So as an exclusive Master System game, it's all right. It's got really good music for the system, especially for 85. The graphics are nice, but man, it is, it's freaking hard. And yeah, it's hard for the wrong reasons. Like I remember doing the boss fight a dozens of times. I just couldn't get the pattern. It just didn't make sense to me it was so freaking hard it doesn't have that like beat where you're like okay it's gonna do this now it's just like the enemies is it was it kind of just completely random the and the final boss is not random but it it's also like a three-pronged attack that is almost hard you know, because the biggest problem with a running gun is that you never want to, sh- with a overhead running gun, is you never want to shoot in the direction that you're running. Like, if I'm moving left, I'm probably running away from everybody and want to shoot right. Right. And that's the problem with a lot of these overhead running guns is that you can never really run and shoot you know, in an optimum way. And that's what makes the final boss so hard is you have to run towards something that's firing at you to hit it. And that is really freaking hard. <laughs> so it is, it's, it's uh 360 kind of like a uh, super smash TV or well, smash. No, cause, no, cause smash. Well, maybe not on the any, you know, the NES, I think you could play with two controllers so you could move your guy with the left D pad and then you could shoot with the right D pad so you could move left and shoot right. Right. And it was amazing. But this game, you cannot do that. Right. So you're, you're trapped, stuck with whatever direction you're going. That's the direction yeah. you're going to fire in. Yeah. You can't even, there's no, like you hold a button to trick it. Or I believe it. if you hold down, you will shoot up, but right. that's it. Like there's no way to move left and shoot right. It sucks. It sucks. It's <laughs> it's a it's it's not a terrible game. If you have a master system, this is a pretty cheap game and um you know, it's worth to pick up because it's an exclusive master system game, but it's just incredibly hard and frustrating. <laughs> The opposite of hard and frustrating is my number four, Finding Nemo for the Xbox GameCube and PlayStation 2. I believe this was made by Traveler's Tales. I know we hit upon the Traveler's Tales game a couple months ago, but this is a pretty 
mediocre to below average platformer. Obviously, it's Finding Nemo, so that means every level is a water stage, which is kind of a drag, because I don't really like water stages in most platformers, but, I mean, you can attack and stuff, so I guess it's got that going for it, but this is, it very much feels like a dumbed-down game. Like, I grew up with Disney games that were hard and challenging for people of all ages, and Finding Nemo has almost nothing hard in it at all. Um, some of the puzzles in the game are kind of ludicrous like there's literally sliding puzzles in the game like you know those cheap uh plastic chinese toys you would get you know they have like either a three by three or a four by four grid and you sort of have to slide one piece at a time to make a picture yeah like that's some of the puzzles in this game it's literally a sliding puzzle so there are a couple levels that are fun where there is some logic in cleverness in getting through the level, but they're few and far between. And so the whole game feels pretty meh as a result. Yeah, just just kind of a shovelware. Yeah. yeah. And for a Traveler's Tales game, I definitely expect more than shovelware, but I guess they, you know, they, they phoned this one in. <laughs> yeah, it's a licensed game. Got to get it out. You know, they got a deadline and they can't. It's they can't no Toy it. Story, I'll tell you that. <laughs> yeah. All right. Third on my list is Skyskipper for the 2600. So this is one of the five Nintendo games that uh, got licensed and ported to the 2600. Um, the others being what? Donkey Kong, Donkey Kong Jr., Mario Brothers, Skyskipper, and something else that I can't remember. Oh, yeah. Dr. 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 Popeye. No, Popeye. (laughs) (laughs) Popeye, which is a great 2600 game, one of my favorites. But Skyskipper uh, was a Japanese arcade game, and it never was released anywhere else. I think one or two English versions of the arcade cabinet were found in Europe, but for all intents and purposes, it was a Japanese exclusive arcade game. But for some reason, um, I think Coleco or Parker Brothers licensed the game and released it in America on the 2600. And, uh, it's a pretty shoddy game on the 2600. Basically, you're a plane, the skyskipper. You drop a bomb on like a donkey or a gorilla or Donkey Kong or whatever, and that will release animals from their cages. Then you grab all the animals before the timer runs down, and then you beat the level. And then if you don't do it fast enough, you have to rebomb the gorilla to reopen the cages, and there's things moving on the screen to prevent you from getting to the animals, and you have fuel. And it just becomes very boring very fast not a good 2600 game man it it sounds interesting it sounds like there's a lot of things that you're doing but it's just it's just not fun to play it is off you should i made a video called five nintendo games on the atari 2600 so you should watch that okay it's a it's like a 10 minute video it's got all five nintendo and i think you'll see what i'm saying because it sounds interesting but it doesn't look interesting and it doesn't play interesting it's way more basic than the concept should be it's just bad it's not a very good game oh man the next one you uh i had mentioned the in my one of my stream streaming video suggestions and there was a seething rage beneath any comment you made about this particular game (laughs) the lion king for the sega genesis and super nintendo this is a virgin interactive platformer and it is awful it is 
This is, it's actually kind of ironic that Blockbuster and Hollywood Video don't exist anymore because this game was made purposely annoying to increase rental sales. And I think we talked about this when we talked, you made a recommendation for the devs play, I believe. Mm -hmm. And uh, we watched somebody play the Lion King with, you know, nostalgic glee. And I just didn't understand why he was having so much fun. Uh, but this game is really frustrating. The, the puzzles in the second level of the game are impossible to defeat without a guide. The enemies are almost always placed in a way to screw the player. There are literally the bat enemies, which are the most notorious of classic video game enemies. There are literally bats <clears throat> that don't appear on the screen right away. They'll glitch in a few moments later. So when you first enter a screen and sort of make your assessment, that whole assessment is wrong because the bats then appear uh, delayed. And then there's, of course, the level near the end of the game where there's like doors and you have you know you might be presented with three doors and if you don't go through the right door you basically screwed yeah. so you kind of have to go through the doors in the exact specific way and enemies regenerate every time you go through so mm -hmm. you never get a sense of it's just the game sucks it's a really terrible game and i hope i never have to play it again <laughs> but again i did beat it on the normal difficulty and i'm happy to have it off my checklist but I don't like this and I don't think it's very good. No. Well, that was the video. What I appreciated was at least he was offering an explanation for why the difficulty was so messed up. I, I don't know if I completely bought the answer, but the, the explanation as far as well, we, they, they had to change the order of some levels. Like they were trying to ramp it up a certain way, but it sounds like just in general, there's a lot of cheapness in the game, which it's, is really frustrating. It, and at the end of the game, you know, it was interesting in Mario to have that, like, oh, there's there's a maze to the castle, but you could kind of manage it. But at the end of the game, when you're dealing with a health bar and, you know, the enemies respawning and you starting over, that's just, you know, that's uncalled for. It's really unfair. Like, the, it's like Disney clearly was riding the sh you know, they were saying, all right, you have to do everything we tell you to do. And the game developers, the game creators didn't have enough say. And that's yeah. a shame. Yeah. The worst game I played in <laughs> 2017 is easy. And that is Sonic the Hed Sonic the Hedgehog Genesis for the Game Boy Advance. Just a train wreck of a game in every way possible. The physics are broken. The screen is does the yeah the screen crunch is it's bad. the The music doesn't sound very pleasing, and there is with the slowdown and the weird momentum, the the levels just don't work with what they had programmed in, and the whole game just is awful to play from beginning to end, and. Uh, Remember Starlight Zone, those like teeter-totters where you would bounce on the left and then you'd move to the right and get launched into the air? Yeah. Those don't work in this game. <laughs> and so imagining trying to get through those levels with the teeter-totters don't work. <laughs> it is just a mess. The worst <laughs> game I have played in 2017 by a country mile. <laughs> So my list is short, and I would say that the reason why these even pop into my head is because it was more so that they were disappointments than anything. Uh, the first game is Thief 2014, not the original Thief for PC. I love the original Thief. Um, that that game is great. It is dark. It is gothic, and it has um, as the 
going back to it now, you know, it would seem really simplistic, but a lot of the sort of, uh, you know, your sneaking games like uh, Dishonored and those style of games borrow heavily from the original Thief series. And there's just a lot of um, uh, different ways of approaching a particular problem. And um, I always found it terrifying for some reason because uh, the consequences for, for messing up were extreme. Hand-to-hand combat almost always meant death. So it really was in your interest to be to be sneaky and stay in the shadows and wait things out and come up with a plan. The 2014 Thief is awful and it's, a, it's something... I can't place it. I can't place what's so wrong about it. It has all the ingredients, but it's almost like somebody, I guess that's the best example I could give. It's like somebody had all the ingredients to thief, but they didn't have the recipe. So they didn't know the order to do something in or like how much to cut, you know, do you Julianne the, you know, this, do you do whatever? They accidentally swapped the sugar for salt. Exactly. The, 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 they didn't have the measurements or anything like that. And so it just, it comes off like, um, like a bad copy and it's, it's just, um, it's not engaging. It, it's, it's not, it doesn't, it doesn't grab your attention and demand your respect the way that the original thief did. And so for me, it was just a, a, a very big disappointment and it, and it sort of, it was weird it felt like it grabbed a lot of the tropes that existed in cutscenes in like 20, you know, 2004, you know, 2006, sort of that era of cutscene. Like the story kind of felt like it was pulled out of maybe a decade before um, in its approach. And so that game just ultimately let me down. And then the other one that let me down is I'm a big fan of SRPGs and like uh, tactical RPGs and Final Fantasy Tactics is one of my favorite uh of the, of the that kind of style of game and Dragonfin Soup is a a an example of a game that trailered really well and when I saw it in people playing it it seemed like everything was there for it to be one of those games that I would just dive into Rainbow Moon is another style of game that I thought it was sim- similar to um but here's the best example I can give of why I, I instantly knew playing this game. I wasn't going to like it. And, and it just like uh, really just turned me off. And I, I, tr- I tried so hard to give it a fair shake. And I, I, I you know, maybe another two hours or four hours, like <laughs> something could have could have come of it. But uh, so you're on the stage, you you will aggro an enemy. You'll you'll come within their view and they'll see you and you don't have enough health. And it's turn-based, but the thing is, is that it's real-time. And what I mean by that is when you make a move, the enemy makes a move at the exact same time. And so what happens is you end up in this, it happens all the time, where you can't, you can't identify an enemy fast enough for you to be able to get ready for what you need to do next. And you end up in this, like, turn-by-turn chase where they're coming after you and you move forward and then they move forward towards you and then you move forward and then they move forward towards you. And it's just, it was it, the gameplay, that mechanic of having the enemy's turn happen exactly when yours happens, uh, to me just broke the, broke what I was expecting out of the game. And, and it turned it into, um, just constantly running. And it was just like a runathon where I was just running away from enemies all the time. And then I'd aggro another enemy and I'd be getting chased by them. But that, that alone and, and, uh, just, it didn't, ha- some, they were messing with the turn-based 
concept and it just was a it just did not work and so that was that's the other game that for me was the, the one of the worst games i played in 2017 i feel awful because i didn't even pay for it um, <laughs> it was a it was a free download on psn and i was so excited about it and and just crushed me so those are the two that i had on my list that were uh the worst games that i played uh in 2017 Right on. So Rambo First Blood Part 2, Finding Nemo, Sky Skipper, The Lion King, Sonic the Hedgehog Genesis, the G- the Game Boy Advance game, Thief, and Dragon Fin Soup. So let's move on to our streaming pick. So my pick this week is on Amazon Prime, and that is The Grand Tour. Um, this was released a couple of weeks ago. Unlike most digital programs, they actually release these weekly instead of uh, releasing them all at once so you can binge them, which I find interesting. Um, so I didn't talk about it last week because there, there had only been one episode. So at this point, I believe there has been three episodes. And uh, what The Grand Tour really is, um, for people like me, is a sequel or continuation of the show Top Gear, um, which is a UK show that was on the BBC for like uh, 21 seasons, I believe. And then uh, one of the hosts got himself into some trouble and got fired. And then the other two quit and, you know, the three stuck together and got a deal with Amazon Prime and the show for, you know, the most part is just a continuation. And uh, have you ever watched the top uh, Top Gear or the Grand Tour? Yeah, and I it's one of the reasons why I love uh, Forza 5 so much is they they had those guys do the uh, sort of the voiceover for the cars and everything in the game. Nice. Uh, but yeah, these are guys that just love love automobiles and they, they're a lexicon of information. What I think is most interesting about the show is that the three of them well, they it's kind of like a three-way bromance to me, like uh, male love before male love was like what every movie was about. <laughs> and you feel a genuine kinship when the three of them interact. So they have a rapport and like if they rib each other, it feels like friends ribbing each other, not people being cruel or mean. And because of that rapport that they have, that kinship, it ends up being a very funny show. And because none of them are really that polite, Politically correct. It's sort of this really raw look at car culture, or male culture, or you know, pop culture, really. And there's just something very honest about the show that I find very endearing and very watchable. Yeah, and they definitely have like it's attitude, right? I think they have like an attitude about. Um, they'll talk about a car, and if if you replaced the car with a person, you, you know, they, they tend to make it seem like they're talking about another person when, when they talk about a car. So it, it's, uh, that's cool. I haven't seen it. Honestly, I haven't seen it. Um, since, since top gear was over the first season of the grand tour felt a little forced. Um, obviously it's not a scripted show, but it's, you know, it's an unscripted show. So <clears throat> there's planning involved and, beats that need to be hit and things like that um and the first season felt a little forced and the season two feels a lot more natural and significantly better yeah so my pick uh is another youtube pick and it's another pick from um uh it's another devs play series 
Um, I'm dipping into that well again, but I, I love them. And Back this one, to the well, like yeah. Clerks 2. <laughs> <laughs> but this is John Romero uh, playing Doom and talking about the levels that he designed. And it's really fascinating, and it's a series of, uh, I almost want to say it's like 20 videos long. Um, but he, he breaks down, uh, a lot of the method methodologies of what he was doing, what he was thinking when he was making the levels, um, talking about the tools that they were using. And, uh, it's just really fascinating. Um, it's, it's a good look into level design for, you know, early, not quite 3d game, but, but a lot of the, uh, problems that, th- uh, you know, multi, multi platforms and things like that started to introduce in, into a, a new genre and they really paved the way for a lot of it. Um, and, and it's just really fascinating, uh, look at, at, at the whole thing. And, uh, I don't know. John Romero is one of those guys who is a lot like, uh, uh, Rob Liefeld in comics where he's, he's sort of loved hate character um, there's a persona behind him that I don't think is actually him, but I think it's attributed to it to him a lot. And so there's, there's kind of a weird hate towards him. I, I feel like by, by some folks. Um, but I, I, I don't know. He's, he's, he seems like a, a really laid back dude, um, who still plays doom to this day, basically. And I think he released a new level actually like last year for the original doom. Um, but I definitely recommend it if you're into the into that kind of stuff and want to see an, um a look into the the eye of uh the mind of somebody who who made the those classic levels, levels in Doom yeah all right collecting games I feel like I've seen the first one of him of devs play Doom maybe even two episodes I can't remember anymore yeah this starts at two because of the the suggested link that I have because it the first episode is really just a fan talking about how much he loved it. The original Doom. <laughs> so you can skip that part, but okay. I'll have the link in the show notes, of course. All right. Collecting games can be expensive, but it doesn't have to be. So we are going to recommend two classic games that you should check out that are $10 or less and absolutely worth your time. So I will start with Alone in the Dark for the 3DO, which is about $9.99 loose, if you don't mind loose games. I actually have quite a few loose 3DO games. It's one of the few systems I'll actually buy loose games for. Um, I don't know if other people do that. I certainly don't do it for the PlayStation or, or Dreamcast, but something about the 3DO just having the disc is good enough for me. But Alone in the Dark is the first, basically the first modern survival horror game. Um, And this is the classic, you explore a mansion and then you have to escape the mansion because now you're trapped. And I believe it came out for DOS a few years before, and it was kind of revolutionary because of the way it used um, simple 3D polygon models over pre-rendered backgrounds. So in the case of Alone in the Dark, they're kind of these um, hand-drawn styled backgrounds, but it still looks pretty good with the flat-shaded polygons. Later on with Resident Evil, which is the most famous example, they did like pre-rendered, computer-rendered backgrounds. So the the PlayStation polygons and the 3D backgrounds sort of matched better together. But this is kind of um, much like Virtual 
racing was for racing games in 3D, this was a pretty huge 3D release that could run on low-end hardware and kind of showed what to do with these new, you know, polygon power. Um, so it has tank controls and that's probably the biggest knock against the game is it has tank controls so it's a little weird but since the 3d only has a d-pad it also sort of makes sense and some of the puzzles are pretty obscure so if you get stuck i i would not feel you know you should feel the need to consult a guide instead of struggling for hours on end um, but as a whole this 3do version adds both uh, a cd soundtrack of course as well as voice acting stuff that couldn't be done on floppy disk or whatever they used when it came out for the pc so the 3do version is unique in that regard i don't know if the voice acting or the music was ever ported to any other version um, i'm not an alone in the dark aficionado so i'm not sure but this is just a really solid 3do game and the 3do isn't really known as a system with a ton of high quality games but um yeah i it's just a good game have you ever played alone in the dark no I, you know i'm familiar with it being sort of the precursor to you know resident evil and 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 those style of games but it's been one that you know i've mentioned next generation magazine before and it's one that they mm -hmm. always talked about and one that i i do want to hit up at some point i think it's probably on good old games if memory serves me correct yeah, GOG. Yep, the, GOG. Yeah, sweet. So, yeah, that's probably the best way to play it. I'll have to see if... Uh, I know they're having, like, a holiday sale. I'll see if I can find I mean, it's phone. no 3DO, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it is uh, a surprisingly... <laughs> it's... You know, the 3DO had a lot more games for it than the 32X and the Atari Jaguar, but it's a library that I'm not that familiar with. So to stumble upon things like Alone in the Dark, you know, for me was really exciting because I've never played the game. And I think the only time I'd ever seen or heard of Alone in the Dark was a Pro Jared video from many years ago. So um, just a nice, pleasant surprise on the 3DO. Awesome. So my pick is a... Uh, Metroidvania uh, game. It's Castlevania Circle of the Moon for the GBA, which you can get for uh, around $9.99 loose. Uh, although I, I do suspect that this is going to be uh, something that probably go up in value over time. The Castlevania series on the GBA is really great. And this is the first in a series of three games, if I don't, if I'm not mistaken. You are correct. And um, the the gameplay is very close to Symphony of the Night, uh, but the graphics I would say are more on par of of a like an SNES title. Obviously, Definitely. I mean we're dealing with the Game Boy Advance. Um, what I what I liked about this, I don't know. I I think this one it's it's a little like it's a little simpler. And in, in um that so th there's a card system in the game where you um like uh trying to think of an example of what it's like kind of like materia in Final Fantasy VII I don't know why that's what what the example I can think of but so you'll attack enemies and depending on the enemy you're attacking there's a random chance of them dropping a certain card and you can combine two cards together to create different effects um like say there's a card that would set your whip on fire when you use it. And so you'll have a, like an attribute and then, uh, an item I think is, is how it worked. If, if, uh, if memory serves, I've put time into this game, but I, I'm struggling to remember. It's been a couple of years. Yeah. Um, but you would, you would combine them together to get different types of effects. Um, Actually, you know, it's sort of like in, um, a lot of people didn't mess around with it, but in Super Metroid, you could turn off 
certain abilities that that uh, Samus would get that you get over time. Normally, the game would just sort of auto apply them, but you could go into the select menu and turn off certain things, and your gun would would have completely different effects. So it's kind of like that. Um, uh, but it's it's your it's your Castlevania game. It's it's a it's a great um plat platforming uh Castlevania game. Uh, I'm music- surprised that Symphony of the Night gets a lot of praise, yet um, Circle of the Moon and Harmony of Dissonance rarely get mentioned at all. Because I feel like the quality level is pretty similar. Yeah, I think so. I think it move to me. It moves a bit slower. It, uh, but it might just be, it might just be the, the scaling and everything for the screen m- m- might make it seem like that. But, uh, I think they're fantastic games. They hold up and they, it would be like if, if they had released more titles on the SNES, like it's, it's, it's that, it's that good. But the only thing I would say is that I'm just not a fan of the Game Boy Advance's music, um, because it used sampling, if I'm not mistaken, um, the Game Boy Advance had two strategies for audio. The first is the for Game Boy audio channels because it was backward compatible, so they had that hardware. So you could use the four Game Boy channels, and then everything else beyond that was completely done in software. So what most folks did was write, yeah, like you're saying, simple sample players. And because it's all done in software and RAM is limited, they ended up sounding very scratchy and compressed. And a lot of composers didn't know how to work around the software limitations, nor how to blend that with the Game Boy audio channels and I think Circle of the Moon was most criticized for the music and I think Harmony of Dissonance was the, I feel like they got the music right but then the the game is really dark and didn't work on real hardware but it works fine like on a DS or a Game Boy Micro or an SP but yeah the, the, the music on the Game Boy Advance, a lot of it isn't that great. I think the Nintendo first-party stuff is a lot better. Sonic Advance 2 and 3 in particular sound pretty good. Um, but I've also played a lot of Game Boy Advance games where, yeah, it just it sounds like a really compressed MP3 and it just yeah. lacks depth. Well, I'd say even, like, Mario Kart sounds pretty pretty horrible in yeah. Advance. Um, this, just anytime they went with sampling, I, I get why. But yeah, they'd they'd crush the bytes, you know, there'd be a couple bytes for sound. <laughs> it seems weird to me they didn't just, you know, use that Sony um whatever chip that was in the Super Nintendo. I mean, I would assume by two thousand or whenever the Game Boy Advance came out that they must have been able to make that for fairly cheap. I wonder if it was bad blood by then, because uh, had the PlayStation um the PlayStation hadn't come out yet or had it. Yeah, two that was ninety five. Oh yeah, yeah. Or ninety four. Yeah. So maybe maybe they just There just had to have been something. Somebody must have had a better solution than yeah, saying bad Yum. developers can just write their own yeah. software and use CPU cycles. Like yeah. that's just silly. Hit up Yamaha or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> it's very odd. Yeah. But anyways, it's a great Vania game and if you like that one, then you're in for a ride because there's three other ones or two other ones on, on the Game Boy Advance as well. Um, I agree completely. The the Castlevania trilogy on the, the Game Boy Advance is, is fantastic. Really good games. Yeah. And cheaper than Symphony of the Night. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> we have one question and I believe this is for you. 
This is from Gabe the Dead Fish. I like your eBay tips. Those alone might make for a good video for your channel. Just a thought. That's a good thought. <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I'm thinking maybe compiling together into some massive video. Uh, I think next, um, I, I've got some ideas for some other things to talk about. Um, so I, I agree. I think I might compile them, write them into a more clear and concise way and maybe maybe throw something together at some point. Unfortunately, my, my time with video editing is uh, very constrained and... Um, it's, uh, can be really, it can be really tough to make a good, a good video. Yes. And I, I feel, it feels gross just sitting in front of a camera and talking, you know, uh, I, like, I feel like I don't, I don't have patience to, to watch those kinds of videos typically. And so I, I feel like I'd owe it to people who were going to sit down and watch a video to, to give them something that's clear like it's and, scripted and yeah, edited and produced exactly. and sounds good and doesn't sound like I'm in a tunnel or something like that. And, but, uh, I appreciate that, uh, that feedback. And that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave a comment or question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Implant. He is at Cricket, K-R-I-K-I-T, and use hashtag IPG Podcast. Otherwise, leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Implant Games or the website at ImplantGames.com. And until next time, guys, have a great two weeks. Bye-bye.